Hi, and welcome to the Hingham Cast. I'm your host, Allie Donnelly. The Hingham Cast is hyper-local, looking at the world through the lens of one small town, my town, here on Boston's South Shore. But the issues we explore are unfolding in communities across the country. Like bouncing back from a pandemic that keeps on coming, particularly for our kids and schools. I'm just going to plug this laptop in, so give me one second. Okay. Yeah, take your time. Interim Superintendent Gary Maestas is busy. We're under pressure to get our mics up fast because he's got candidates coming in for job interviews. First set of interviews today is for the communication director for the school district. Maestas says too often social media posts about school in the community turn into a game of telephone. By the time it gets, you know, through 25 different people, it's a whole different story and we want to make sure it's accurate. So it not only accurate, but timely. Have you seen communication as a big challenge with parents? From the minute I walked into this office, it, it's been a challenge for me because it's cumbersome. It's not the way it should be, and we're going to fix it. Hiring a communications director for the district is just one task on a seemingly endless and pressure-laden to-do list for Maestas. Over the next 30 minutes, we dig into his top priorities for the classroom, the mass lawsuit, the possibility of going mask optional, the budget, and would he be willing to stay for another year if we needed him? It's a really interesting conversation. Have a listen. So you've been on the job now a couple of months, and you know, you've had to do this kind of accelerated assessment of Hingham Public Schools. What do you see now from your vantage point? Yeah. Well, you know, um, I think the Hingham Public Schools are positioned to, un- to do unbelievable things for children, really focusing their efforts on becoming uh, a well-rounded child, mm. you know, and, and I, I, I really have to be clear about not focusing so much on academics because I think academics come when you have a, a great environment mm. and and you put these resources together to really help kids excel excel socially, emotionally, and academically. When you have that trifecta, uh, it's just a, a beautiful thing for for children and families. Yeah, what do you see as Hingham's biggest problems and challenges outside are looking in? Yeah, you know, I think um, there are a number of challenges that that we're dealing with today that that are clouded by COVID. You know, COVID has put a level of pressure on our teachers and our, our administrators in the district. They weren't uh, thinking about pandemics when they were, you know, getting trained to, to be educators. And I think mm. we struggled through that. And I think that's a significant challenge that, you know, all schools are dealing with. But here in, in Hingham, I think you know, there's such a, an emphasis on excellence, on doing things well. It's very uncomfortable for me and for our principals and teachers to roll something out that you're unsure if it's going to work well or not. You know, and I think mm. that's a, a significant challenge. It's painful for people that take great stake in how they approach their jobs every day, you know. So that has been very uncomfortable. And I think that's our biggest challenge going into the school year is, is is really having confidence in what we're trying to do, how we do it, with the resources that we have. Let me pause you for a second and dig in there a little bit. When you say uncomfortable to roll something out, what do you mean? Well, we're given a lot of advice, right? We're given advice from all these different agencies. And I really don't know 
how many of these agencies and the people that actually roll these plans out have ever run a school mm. or run a school district. And they say, no, you got to do this. No, this is what you should do. Oh, and it's all concept. It hasn't been pressure tested, as they say. It's, well, no, we're doing the testing. And then guess what? We land up suffering the consequences. We look like we're unprepared. We look like we're not doing our job. We look like, well, you, you had all summer to plan for this. Mm. Well, no, we didn't have all summer to plan for this. The information that we get to actually support our schools when it's, you know, a model that is going to be supported by, you know, the education system of, of the state, of, of this commonwealth, is very specific. And, and, and we have to do certain things or certain requirements. Mm-hmm. So I think for us, I'm not asking for anybody to give us any breaks. That's not what I'm asking for. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to convey. I'm just saying, you know, we have a very unique situation. We're actually building it as we roll. And it's uncomfortable. I don't like it. I don't like being in that space where we don't know what we're doing because this is not our plan. Or, or in some cases, it's we have to build it to accommodate the needs of our own system. So if you were going to give me a list of your top three priorities, now, obviously, teaching the whole child is kind of that larger overarching goal. But what are some kind of brass tacks you know, one, two, three that you want to tick off to say, this is what our, these are what our priorities are for this school year and the, and the years ahead. Well, I think the number one thing that I have to, to try to accomplish before I depart is we want to have a strategic plan that will chart the course of the school district for the next three to five years. And I think that's, that's extremely, exceedingly important, even building the budget. You know, where do we want to go? What are the priorities? What does the data suggest that we should be doing for our children? What are the needs? Um, the strategic planning process allows that fact-finding to take place, and then we build a plan around it. So to me, that's uh, a key essential for my time here. And, and I say that with a great deal of emphasis because the next superintendent is, in my view, it would be extremely helpful for them to have a guiding document for them to understand what the stakeholders of the community believe are priorities and where you should put your, your, your effort. And what will those be? Well, you know what? I can, I can almost guarantee that based on what I've known and what I've heard and the frequency, I think, you know, not in particular order, but I think social emotional learning is really important, you know, especially after COVID, before mm-hmm. COVID, you know, we have kids that have uh, social emotional needs. And uh, how do we as a district have a process and programming to support that? Mm-hmm. I think that's extremely important. I think another one is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. I think we've started to address how the school system is going to formally have processes in place, policies in place, programs, professional development, all these bits and pieces that actually constitute a, a well-defined and well-run, well-organized program that allows all students, all faculty, all staff to feel that they belong to something special. Mm. And I think that is something that I've heard loud and clear. So those are those are two. I think a, a third one is, you know, it takes significant amount of time to, to get a school building constructed. Mm. In Massachusetts, you have to jump through a lot of hoops. And I think there's a great deal of attention on Foster getting uh, either renovated or, or, or built a new, a new building. And, and we're going through that process now. 
I can tell you that the strategic planning process will probably have some level of indicator that is dealing with maintenance and upkeep and adequacy of facilities. Mm -hmm. You know, the strategic planning process is extremely important because it's an opportunity for, for community stakeholders to contribute their thoughts and ideas mm-hmm. to how strong, you know, what, what, what the strengths are of the district, you know, what the uh, challenges are of the district and what opportunities are out there. So there'll be uh, focus groups for parents to come together and talk specifically about um, the strategic planning development. And then there will be a significant survey that will be sent out to all stakeholders. Anyone that, that feels that they have something to say about uh, the school system will have that opportunity. When does that opportunity come? Uh, I would say that we'll probably start uh, around uh, late November, okay. December, and it'll go all the way until the plan will probably be done. Uh, you know, my, my expectation is that I walk out the door and it's done, you know. Let's take a break here to ask, if you like the podcast, follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and share this episode with a friend. Local journalism only survives if people support it. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Right now, Hingham is defending its school mask mandate in court. Apparently, a group of Hingham parents are part of a nonprofit called Children's Health Rights of Massachusetts, formed, quote, to stand up for kids and parental rights. According to their website, their objective is to, quote, fight illegal and cruel school mask mandates, unquote, being implemented by the district and by the state. None of the parents have identified themselves publicly. So Hingham is being sued, along with about a dozen other districts in the state, for its mask policy. The lawyer bringing the suit on behalf of, he says, uh, Hingham parents. So I'm assuming you can't comment on the lawsuit, but I'll ask just in case. Do you have any comment? You know, I do not have a comment on it. Uh, The only thing that I'll say is our schools are up and running and kids are doing fine. They're doing well. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm happy for that. And I think the school committee took a a significant position to ensure that we could keep kids in school. And the mask uh, mandate is is a piece of that. And Mm -hmm. it's working for us. Yeah. Yeah. So the state extended the mask mandate um, for public schools through November 1st. But middle and high schools that reach a vaccination rate among staff and students of 80 percent or higher can go mask optional for vaccinated people in the school as as soon as this week, is my understanding. They can't go as soon as this week. The the earliest that they can possibly do it is November 1st. Okay. They can actually start submitting their requests this week. You have to, as a school district, demonstrate that you have an 80% vaccination rate mm-hmm. at each building. So if you have a middle school and a high school, you have to determine that your vaccination rate is at 80%. That's students and staff combined. Mm-hmm. And that number has to be then uh, validated and then sent to the Department of Education. They turn around and give you the approval to actually go in that direction. So the dilemma with that is we have uh, schools uh, in Massachusetts and in Hingham that have students that may have been vaccinated and a, a great deal of students that don't qualify for vaccination. So there is mm-hmm. automatically two different models that you have to run in a school system. Mm-hmm. So that becomes somewhat of a dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Will Hingham be submitting that paperwork for any of our schools? I think that is a decision that will be made at the school committee level. But in the meantime, we are collecting the vaccination data, um, both staff and student-wise. And that, that it's cumbersome. It's very, very cumbersome to do that. But that's we're in the process of doing that. Yeah. I mean, as we started this school year of Memory Serves, we did have a really high vaccination rate at the high school. From the data you've seen so far, particularly at the high school, does it push you in any way to support relaxing a mask mandate at the high school? I think that's a very difficult question. And I will, there's a couple intricacies to it. One, the data that was shared identifies students up to age 19. Mm -hmm. Students that are no longer students in Hingham anymore are actually listed and they were identified uh, as positive vaccination status because they they need it for college. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some of the students that are on that list uh, don't even go to the Hingham public schools. They may go to private schools and charter schools. So as a school system, we have to actually decipher who's in school today, mm-hmm. uh, what grade they're in, uh, what school they're in, um, and actually make that determination. So we're in the process of determining that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number for Ingham students, 15 to 19, is high. Mm-hmm. But again, we have to make a determination as to are those kids in our schools or not. Right. Right. And our teachers and staff, do they have to prove vaccination status or is it an honor system? There's no requirement, but we're working with our teachers and the teachers association to be able to collect that information. And again, we do not have uh, in school systems in Massachusetts, we do not collect teachers vaccination status, mm-hmm. you know, wholesale. There, there are certain tests that are required to actually get hired by a school system, but, mm-hmm. you know, having a COVID test is is definitely not one of those. So, that information has to be shared at the teacher's will, mm-hmm. and it's not a requirement. We're working yeah. with our teachers to come up with a model to voluntarily give that information up. Yeah. So we're, we're working through that now, and, and those are, are one of the challenges that we're, we're working on, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. But if the president has put into place a mandate that employers with 100-plus employees, you know, have to have vaccination status, why doesn't a school a uh, fall into that category? That's a good question. And we have not gone down that road. And, mm. you know, I, I know um, Governor Baker has required that uh, state employees to to actually get vaccinated. I know there's a, a legal challenge to that mm-hmm. uh, now mm-hmm. that that's in play. Um, but again, I I don't know what um, Hing's position may be on that. Uh, and I, I've talked with superintendents all over uh, the South Shore. We have yet to even approach that today. Why? Uh, I, I don't, to be honest with you, Ali, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. I, I, I'm reluctant to even comment to it because, yeah. and I don't want to put the teacher union in the middle of this, but the teacher's union mm-hmm, mm-hmm. would have to support it. And, you know, it's a, it's something that we struggle with all the time in education, you know? I want to break in here to explain President Biden's mandate more. I didn't know this, but public schools are not subject to OSHA's federal regulations because in many states, including Massachusetts, the feds have specifically excluded local governments from the employer category. So teachers would only be affected by a state vaccine mandate. Okay, stay with me. 
Now, Governor Baker's vaccine mandate for state employees went into effect on Monday, but it's only for executive branch employees. Any mandates for teachers, Baker left up to cities and towns. At this moment, Hingham does not have a vaccine mandate for any of its employees. At this moment. Okay, let's get back into the conversation. So when we're talking about vaccination rates in schools of 80%, we're talking about in-school services, so to speak. We're not talking about bus drivers, correct? Bus drivers, we would understand what their vaccination status would be, but we're only talking uh, building-based attendees, whether it's staff or student. So those are full-time building-based employees, not bus drivers. Right. So if the decision gets made to make it mask optional at a high school level, let's say, that wouldn't apply to transportation? No. Let's take a quick break to remind you to sign up for our emails. Each week, one subscriber wins a great treat, a gift card to a local restaurant or shop, movie tickets, craft brewing swag. Sign up now and you'll have a shot at a $100 gift card to Trist in the Square. Perfect for the holidays. Okay, let's get back to the conversation and talk about how many kids have left Hingham Public Schools in the pandemic. The latest data shows there are 3,871 students currently enrolled. That's a very slight drop from February of last year, about 14 kids, less than half a percent. But if you look at the number from March of 2020 in the height of the pandemic, we've lost about 10% enrollment. Kids heading to private schools, moving. Carrie Nee, head of the school committee, told me that when the feasibility study was done for Foster, the school building authority projected that the number of elementary age students will increase significantly over the next several years, and we could see more kids come back into public schools as the pandemic wanes or vaccinations are more available for the younger kids. But still, right now, we're down about 10% since the height of the pandemic. I asked Dr. Maestas about the drop. So how does that affect kids still in the system? It doesn't. And one of the things that we have to try to demonstrate to the community is, you know, you could you could lose two or 300 uh, students in, in a school system, uh, but they're not from one school. They're from across the district. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a class size will drop from 22 to 18. You know, you can't collapse sections and you can't put 36 kids in a class. So, you know, the, the numbers drop across the district you know, people are saying, well, the numbers have gone, the numbers are showing that, you know, the kids are down. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't all come from the same school, the same region, the same classes that they're spread out throughout the district. So we just can't drop the band program because now we have less kids. We can't, you know, our RPE classes will have a few less students in them. Our class sizes will go down. Our lunches will have a few less kids in them, but you still need to hire staff to be able to serve them. Yeah, but I mean in terms of what kind of money we'll have to spend on these kids. Yeah, well, you know, our budget, I think, will be probably a percentage above what it was last year. Yeah, where are we in the process? Right now it's being built. The budget is being built right now to actually identify the needs of the district, and then that'll get that'll get presented to the school committee probably in December, December, January. And how are you looking at COVID funding? Hingham got money from the federal government for a kind of a crisis situation. How do you look at COVID funding as opposed to, you know, where we should have been in the first place? Like, how does that level out, so to speak, if the COVID funding goes away and then are we headed off a cliff? I think COVID 
create an opportunity to fund some of the things that, that was needed in, in, in schools and needed here in Hingham. And, and that work was done and staff members were hired to be able to fill some long-term voids. The problem that you have now is that money to be able to fund them for that one year right. is no longer there. So it's going to land up being a situation where you ask the community to fund the increase this year and for the years to come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are we heading off a cliff? Well, I'll tell you, if the school district doesn't get funded to keep our school's operational on current condition, Mm -hmm. if it goes to uh, an override and the override fails, Mm -hmm. we'll definitely have to look at cutting, you know, cutting positions, cutting programs, And that's not a threat or anything. It's a reality. Yeah. So, you know, COVID money paid for certain positions to get filled. Are all those positions filled? Yes. Yep. They are. Okay. So there's nothing like left unfilled that, that, you know, someone could point to and say, well, see, we didn't even need that. No, I think um, the only dilemma that we have with hiring is getting it done. People that work with me directly, they're they're pretty beat. Mm-hmm. Um, they they're overwhelmed. I mean, I I have principals that are just are are doing unbelievable things to keep kids in school. Mm. It's a rough time for education, a rough time for for being in in the seat every day. You know, being an administrator, a teacher. Yeah. When you say unbelievable things to keep kids in school, what does that mean? Well, we have administrators helping to do things that you know make lists of all of the kids that can be vaccinated or not vaccinated, you know, make sure that kids are in line, make sure that kids are doing all the things necessary to get into school every day, monitoring masks, um, doing multiple lunch duties in multiple locations. Mm. And and there's a list of probably 50 or 60 things that they have to do to fill the void because there's no one to do it. Mm. And meanwhile, they're supposed to be evaluating, walking through classrooms, supporting education, being in team meetings, looking at special education requirements, doing all of these high level things that are supposed to help schools excel. And they're doing uh, tasks every day just to make sure that we can open school tomorrow. So what's the answer to help solve that? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Every day is a new challenge. Every day is a new challenge that we may not have an answer for. But we, we manage it. We try to do the best we can with it and hit tomorrow with a new sense of uh, vitality, you know, and, and that, that itself is, is difficult, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I know people really don't want to hear from me and complaining. I'm not complaining. I'm just giving you a sense of reality. Let's pause here to thank our media partners at The Hingham Anchor. All news is local, so check them out at HinghamAnchor.com. Let's get back to our conversation with Dr. Maestas. I asked him about Hingham's long-running frugality in our school budget. Um, You know, getting back to the budget for a second, there are loads of competing interests in town right now. And the percentage of people who have kids in the system is actually smaller than the percentage of people who don't. So, you know, if you're going for an override, how do you get all the different competing interests, A, on board and people on board from, you know, all different parts of the community? Well, you know, it's um, it's a campaign and that campaign has to be grounded in very good information so that people can understand the conditions of the system. Mm. Keep in mind, 
there are different conditions that we're dealing with. We have a potential funding of the rebuild, uh, re, you know, renovation of, of Foster or, or actually a new construction. Mm-hmm. That has to be dealt with. That has to go to town meeting. There has to be a vote for that. We have a potential for an operational override uh, to be able to fund the school department budget. And that puts into play how are we going to, as a school system, build a budget that's responsible, knowing that there are these economic challenges in the town. So I think, to your point, how, how do you go, go about it? I think, you know, we have to create good information on, on why our budget is the way it is, uh, what got funded, what didn't get funded, what stimulus was able to, to help during COVID. You know, there are a number of things that have to be done. It's a campaign. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, outsider looking in, did Hingham run just too lean for too long? Well, I will answer that question by having anyone that's curious go back to the pupil expenditures that are out there that the state logs every year. And you can compare Hingham to other communities and you can look at a trend line to actually demonstrate where Hingham is in comparison to light communities. And you can draw that conclusion for yourself. Well, save me the hunt for a moment. How does Hingham compare? You know, probably about uh, two to $3,000 lower per pupil than uh, the, comp- the competing neighboring districts. Two to $3,000 per student lower. That's, that's been a, a trend for, for quite some time. And, and uh, that, that is where it is today. How do you see that two to $3,000 deficit per student playing out in the classroom? Well, to me, I think we've done a lot of great things in the, in the classrooms with what we've had. I think uh, structurally and supports in, in the school system have to be looked at. And again, it's hard to answer that question without doing a staffing audit to really understand what roles and positions are in the district. You know, there's a lot of positions here. What do they do? Um, how many students they support uh, when you have a building administration, how many administrators you have, how many support people you have to support the operations of the school system. You, you look at the district office, how many people you have uh, covering what roles. You know, Hingham has, has functioned very well for quite some time with a lean staff at central office. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think uh, the next superintendent is going to have uh, somewhat of a a goal of understanding clearly what the needs of the district are for the years to come. I really don't think it is under this economic structure that we have ahead of, you know, have in in the future here. Hmm. I think it's going to be difficult to uh, fill some of those voids when you have competing interests like a building and a potential override. Yeah, yeah. So if, you know, you hear all these competing interests, obviously, even, you know, within the school community of, uh, you know, building a fitness center, more money for special education. Where do you think the budget should focus? Well, you know what? I, I've been here for about two months, and I I don't know enough to really give you a firm answer. I think the strategic planning process will help to delineate some of those priorities. Mm-hmm. Time in the seat has been occupied by just managing crisis issues on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there was a void and in, in, in there not being a superintendent in the seat. And I've spent probably the first two, three weeks to a month kind of just getting things caught up. And now we're in the position where we're every day is just it's um, do what you can while you can, you know. Yeah. Yeah. As for the superintendent search, there are 
many, many towns looking for a superintendent themselves, from Dover to Duxbury, a lot of districts. Um, where are we, and are you nervous that we'll find the right candidate in time? Well, one of the reasons why the school committee decided to start early, this is early for a superintendent search. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they typically start um, January, February. The school committee felt it was extremely important to do the search early to try to uh, attract uh, candidates that may be looking at other positions. Yeah, Hingham is a very attractive school system. It's a it's a has an unbelievable reputation. Um, there there are high expectations here. There are, you know, students score well. Um, I think there's a willingness of the community to really support education. So I think there are a lot of attractive features for a superintendent to come here. I I don't think that you're going to get a superintendent that's going to last for 10, 12, 15, 18 years. I think, you know, it'd be great if there would be a a superintendent that can be here for five years and and just just put a great stamp on um, how this this school system can continue to thrive. You know, you committed to a year. If the search isn't going the way you and the school committee and, you know, the rest of the folks had hoped or you can't find the right candidate, would you consider in a short-term aspect extending your contract? Yeah, you know, I uh, am uh, officially retired and that is uh, that poses a dilemma because in order for me to even work in this capacity, I had to get a waiver by the Department of Education mm-hmm. and that, that, that waiver expires in in January. So I have to submit a second waiver. And the reason why they want for me to go in front of them to get it extended is because they want to make sure that a full search is being produced because they don't want me to 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 be here again. They they again I have limits on how much I can work, how much time I can work, how much money I can make. Mm -hmm. Uh, The retirement board really rules how I move forward, you know. But if it were possible, would it be on the table for you or no? Uh, I don't think so. You know, I, I've, um, I got my own company that I, I, I have going on. I, I put things on hold because I, I committed to doing this, you know, and, and I can't, I made commitments that I have to honor and I'm just hopeful that we can find a a very qualified, good match for the school district. And that's my goal. What do you hope parents and the community walk away with after hearing this conversation? You know, I hope they walk away with a sense that we have a great school system here in Hingham that is challenged in some significant ways and that there are staff members pre-K through 12 plus that care deeply about their children under very difficult conditions. This is stressful for families. I think, you know, parents are feeling better about kids going to school every day, but we hear a lot about, you know, people that aren't happy about certain things, but we also hear from from parents that are ex- extremely happy that their kids are in school every day, you know, so that's, that's a powerful thing for us. Gary Maestas, I thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again. I want to thank my friend and fantastically talented producer-editor Kristen Keefe. Our website was designed by Donna Mavramatis and her team at Mavro Creative. I'm Ali Donnelly. Thanks for listening. 
talk to you soon. Bye.